Hey, this is Wicked Spursy, Mike, Steve, Dave, and occasionally a special guest here to talk about the club that we love, Tottenham Hotspur. Come on, you Spurs. Let's go. Yeah, that's how we reacted last week. We're live. This is Wicked Spursy, and I am Dave, joined by my friends Mike and Steve. And we do have a guest that I'm going to introduce momentarily. But first, uh, Mike, how are you doing today? Pretty good. It was an early morning. I uh, last night went over to uh, the neighbor's house to pick up some farm fresh eggs for the breakfast this morning and uh, stayed for a few too many drinks, I think. <laughs> but but, you know, the way the way that things uh, the way that things turned out this morning, I'm in pretty good shape. I got my coffee, uh, just had a little breakfast sandwich, and I think I'm ready to fly here. You're just not as young as you once were, Mike. That's really what it comes down to. Steve, well, how are you today? I'm going to house this weekend, so came on. Perfect. <laughs> Steve, how are you doing? Uh, I'm nice and caffeinated, so that's a good thing. Kiddo decided that he wanted to have another, I'm going to be up at two in the morning night. You know, just awake, no big deal. Except for, you know, if you're like me and like to sleep, but that's what coffee's for. So we're all good here. The joys of young parenthood, I can uh, tell you, I'm, I'm pleased to be beyond that that point. I have a, I have a son who probably will wake up uh, at two o'clock this afternoon as opposed to two o'clock in the morning. So that, that's, that's where we are. But hey, uh, we've got we've got a guest with us today. And I just by way of introduction, here's what I'd like to share. So Steve and Mike and I um, have been doing this podcast for it feels like probably six, seven months at this point in time. We love it. Just a little bit of behind the scenes. I, I chose to be the host because these guys are smarter than I am. And I very much prefer to be the one asking questions as opposed as to the opposed one to responding, responding off, the cuff off the cuff to questions. questions. Mike got a little bit of uh, backlash on your audio, I think, just so you know. Um, so in, in the course of that, like personally, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm in the car a lot for work-related topics. And of course, being a... a huge supporter of Spurs. There are a number of Spurs podcasts that I listen to and um, I pay attention to the hosts and I kind of listen to see what, what people do and how they navigate things and how they respond uh, in prickly situations and how they move through to get from one topic to another. And uh, I continue to try to work to get better at that. But our guest today, I would consider among the best. And so I'm, I'm excited to, um, we're excited to have Wendy from The Extra Inch with us. And Wendy, it's fantastic to have you join us. Would love to, to just give you a chance to say hello, introduce yourself a little bit. And we, we tend to ask people kind of their Spurs story, you know, how, how you became um, who you are in, in the Spurs context. And we'd love to hear that too. So, Wendy, welcome to Wicked Spursy. Thank you so much. What a lovely introduction. I'm really happy to be here. Really nice to meet you all. Um, and absolutely happy to hear uh, anything that says that hosting is hard <laughs> because it really is like it, it's it, it kind of. I think the host sometimes gets forgotten, but actually um, it's a really tough job uh, that you and I do in our podcasts. Um, and I don't think I do it as well as you make out. I think I've got a lot to learn uh, and I am learning all the time and, and that's really important. But I also completely empathize with the idea of choosing to be the host to let the more intelligent people answer the questions. Yes, that is precisely why I uh, decided to be the leader of the Extra Inch. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a bit of background. I, I, I'm 37 years old. I've been supporting Spurs since I was literally a baby in arms. Um, I had a Spurs bib when I was born. Uh, I had no choice in the matter. My, my, my dad was a Spurs fan. 
he literally just chose Spurs in the 60s. There was no particular family connection or tie. Um, but when he and my uncle were growing up in, in the early 60s, Spurs were one of the best teams at that point. So my dad chose Spurs. My uncle chose Burnley, who uh, are slightly less successful. And I'm very lucky that I am my father's son and not my uncle's son, because it's been a hell of a lot more of an exciting journey through my lifetime uh, being a Spurs fan than it would have been had I been a Burnley fan. Also, I would have been ha having to do a lot of, of travelling to get to Turf Moor. So uh, I lucked out in that respect as well. But yeah, I mean, uh, Spurs, very, very... Um, sort of obsessed Spurs fan through my childhood. We would go to maybe somewhere between five and 10 matches per year whilst I was growing up. Um, and, and that continued into adulthood, except I stopped going with my family and would start going with my friends. Um, and I guess became like an online Spurs fan then. I, I enjoyed posting on forums. Uh, when Twitter started, I, I, I started a Twitter account. And at that stage, I was going to lots of the academy matches because I was really interested in watching our under-18s progress into the first team. And because very few people were going to those matches and certainly very few were writing about it and, and definitely not tweeting about it, I garnered a bit of a following from that. And my account just kind of... I, I, I lucked out in the sense that I started the Twitter account at just the right time and it was very easy to grow an account back, back then. And I, I garnered a following which grew and grew and grew. Um, not through me doing anything particularly clever or through any strategy. I never had any strategy. I just tweeted what I thought when I thought it. Um, but like I say, lots of lots of focus on the academy, which was which was novel to people and interesting to people, I think. I also have a Spurs blog, windycoys.com, that I, I've been running for again over a decade. Um, uh, I'm just kind of getting back into the swing of writing regularly on it now. Um, so there was that. And then, like you say, I started the Extra Inch podcast. So I, was, I started off on the Fighting Cock doing a regular weekly slot, again, talking about young players. And I would be an occasional guest as well. And, and those guys are still some of my closest friends on the planet. And uh, from there, uh, launched into the Extra Inch, which is a slightly more tactical take on Spurs, slightly more analytical. Um, am I allowed to swear on here? Absolutely, you are. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot fewer cock jokes on the extra inch, despite the fact that we are called the extra inch. Um, <laughs> so, 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 yeah. It's just kind of is more of a natural home for me and for Bardi, who is my sidekick and best friend on the podcast, and Nathan A. Clark, who is our tactics guy. Who, um, yeah, I, I also adore. So that's me. Yeah. Fantastic. And, and again, Wendy, thanks for being with us. And we're, we're looking forward to just talking through some things. So let's start with, um, we are about a week out from the conclusion of the, the season. And let's talk about kind of our own high points and low points of the year. Steve, I'd love to hear from you first. What would you characterize as like the, the top and the bottom of this of this experience we've had? I mean, you can pretty much look at the top and bottom based on how the season progressed from start to finish, right? We started off in a nice high spot and then kind of ended in a nice low spot, putting us probably right where we deserve to be right in the middle there, right at seventh. Um, personally, my highest point, and I'm not just saying this because I actually got to go and, and have a drink with you guys while we were watching it, was that Man United game, 6-1, um, just unbelievable. Um 
so just to contextualize for for those of you who don't know, that was the only time this season that we were able to have uh, an in-person gathering uh, due to the you know COVID restrictions and um, you know trying to keep everybody safe. Um, but what a match to to attend! I mean, it was a, a phenomenal experience, um, not just for for me hanging out with other Spurs fans and and watching something you know almost live, um, but the game itself was incredible. And uh, I, I particularly imagine, uh, remember um, we had, you know, we were talking before the game started and I was giving my opinions, like, you know, we're going to get some bullshit penalty. Bruno Fernandez is going to score. Of course it is. Um, and sure enough, like that was the first thing that happened in the game. And I just remember looking around and everybody was like, wow, we got Nostradamus over here calling it. Um, but then everything that happened after that, after that was, was incredible. incredible. I'm just staring, I'm just staring at it. A <laughs> uh, little bit of feedback there. Um, I keep doing that. I don't understand why it happens. Yeah, Either. Mike, you still got a little bit of feedback coming through. I'm going to fix this in a second here. My, my laptop's rebooting. so Very good. So, Back to you, Steve. Sorry. Yeah, that was the high point by far. Um, it's always good to score six against Man United. Uh, the low point for me was probably just about everything that happened in the back half of the season. And it almost feels like it, it coincides with when we started doing this pod. Uh, Cause we, we had, I swear, like maybe three or four episodes where we were actually happy and optimistic. Uh, and then, you know, Spurs kind of squished that for us, which, you know, for, for those of us who have been watching Spurs for a while, that's kind of the norm, um, you know, outside the uh, nice Pochettino era where we had these top four finishes constantly um, you know, I, I, I was used to these mid table finishes and, you know, feeling like I was having a heart attack every other week. Um, so it, it felt more traditional in that sense, but not in a good way. Um, you know, I was, I was really enjoying being kind of top of the pack, you know, in the top six, uh, conversation and, uh, yeah, it just really hurt to, to be slipping and then going down to the final day wondering, are we going to finish below Arsenal? We didn't, fortunately. You know, that was a, a positive. But what did that get us? It got us some third-tier European Championship competition that is probably going to do more harm than good. But we'll see. You know, silverware, silverware, we can win something. Maybe that's nice. But I, you know, can't imagine the players are going to be too uh, happy about having to travel to you know, the middle of nowhere to play a game that I, I would say they should win on paper, but the number of times I've said they should win on paper over the last season only to get embarrassed is probably a little too high. So I'll, I'll reserve my judgment for how that might go. Um, you know, maybe when we get a manager in and get some transfers done. Fair enough. And we'll talk about that later. Steve, you just made me think, you know, the, it's unfortunate that reverting to form, we all thought that form was a bit more than it actually turned out to be. But truthfully, we, we reverted to form it is how we finish things out. Wendy, I'd love to go to you. What, what's your perspective on high points and low points of, of this season? Mm, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Steve nailed it there with um, the high point being the United game. Um, although I did say at the time, and I think it's even more clear in retrospect that that game was much more about United being bad than Spurs being good although we certainly put them away very well and what I, what I really liked about that game actually 
is that we were relentless with our attacking. We just carried on. It's like, stop, they're already dead. No, we won't stop. We are going to continue stomping on them until they are a pile of mush. And we just didn't do that throughout the rest of the season. It was really frustrating. And that was part of why things went so wrong. We would try and sit back and and stop conceding at the other end rather than carrying on and, and doing what, you know, stood us in such good stead against United and Southampton. Um, Aside from that, the other high point for me, and I say this without any irony, it was Jose Mourinho leaving Spurs because honestly, by the end, it, things were so toxic and awful and I just wasn't enjoying supporting Spurs. I couldn't see a positive way forward. And so him leaving was a, day, a genuine day of celebration, despite the fact that it kind of fell in amongst the European Super League stuff. Um, and I think that's the low point for me, the European Super League stuff. Um I mean, I think match-wise, you could pick out Zagreb and that whole week, actually, with Arsenal taking place in that week too, which was a horrendous defeat. Um, but the Zagreb match was just absolutely embarrassing from start to finish. A match where, in theory, we should have been able to rest players and still progress to the next round of the Europa League. But actually, we, we took out a strong team and we lost convincingly to one of the weakest teams in the competition. Really awful. But the European Super League stuff, honestly, made me question why I still love the sport. I, I I woke up that morning. I'd obviously seen all the stories at the end of the, the previous um, night and all these rumours. And I woke up in the morning and it was all confirmed. And I genuinely thought, God, have I got a football club to support anymore? Like, do I... Am I still invested in this? And luckily, we climbed down pretty quickly and it was all kind of put to bed within the week. But it was a difficult, it was a really difficult week to deal with as a football fan, especially as a traditional football fan, as a someone who's, who went to matches as a, as a child and kind of has all these memories entangled with the club. It was seriously challenging. And um, yeah, I, it made me sort of question the sport, definitely. Wow, that brings back uh, memories none of us are fond of, right? Um, Mike, I'm going to jump in front of you because I'm afraid you might steal something I'm going to say. So I want to claim it, and then then it's open season for you. Uh, You're a son of a bitch sometimes, you know that? Sometimes, only sometimes. <laughs> it, I, I recall, you know, high point for me was more about a, a period of time. You know, there was this there was this magical window between Thanksgiving and Christmas where we were top of the table. And I remember taking a picture of the, of the Premier League table and, you know, just on my phone going, I'm going to capture this because, you know, this, this may not last. And as we held, I regret this so much, as we held on to that for a few weeks, I deleted the pic because I'm like, yeah, this is looking good. And I wish I still had that image. But that was actually the high point where, even though I think we all knew things were flawed beneath the surface, we were still clicking along and, and getting the results we needed. And other people were giving the results we needed. Uh, in, in other ways. For me, the low point, it actually was that second to last match, the Villa match, because that was the match that made me feel despondent going into the last game. There was so much, so much beneath the surface in the Mourinho era that it would take forever to unpack that. But I had this weird optimism that, hey, maybe we will pull it together. Maybe these guys will say, let's go after this. We're in control of our destiny. And, and the Villa match just made me feel like we don't have any fight left in us. And I went into the final match of the season 
really expecting nothing, expecting Lester to destroy us. And then I was really confused and had a hard time managing. Wow. We, we, we pulled something out there. You know, what, what does that all mean? And then, you know, conflict with myself. Is it better to be in the, the, the carnival circuit tournament next year? Would I rather be eighth or ninth above below Arsenal? Like all those questions that just made my mind swirl. Um, those last few weeks of the season were, were tough in general. So Mike, I'm hoping I stole something from you, but I'd love to, I'd love to hear your, your high and low. I retract my son of a bitch statement. You didn't steal anything. So I'll, uh, I'll save that for another, for another time, maybe later on in the pod. Um, I, I, I gotta say that my, I've got a couple of uh, bright spots for the season. I, I, I really uh, think that the best brightest spot for, for me was the same as Steve's was with us being able to gather as a, as a club, as a fan base, um, getting together for our very first meetup at, at Goodwater Brewery. Um, and that will be my plug for them today. <laughs> not, not to waste time with our sponsors. Um, but I, I can, I can say, I can truly say that like that feel that camaraderie um, with, with a fan base that, you know, just a couple of years before probably none of us knew existed um, until we, until we formed our supporters club. So it was that it was it was um, the fact that we defeated Man U, the fact that um, my one of my best friends Kamal was there to witness that uh, with us, uh, and that you know he showed up in the second half and it was already in the bag. But um, I, I, I think being a Man United fan, <laughs> watching Steve enjoy the cheese sauce for the first time. Uh, <laughs> um, so. The, the low the low point was probably um, the low point was probably I, I'd say probably maybe the Villa game but but definitely the European Super League stuff um, and and the stuff that we had to deal with with the uh, with the online racism and and um, you know the beating up of uh, of Davinson Sanchez and 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 Sonny um, and even Daniel Levy to a point um, so. You know those things as as a fan base, seeing other fans of the, of the team of the team just just rip people apart like that. That that's really a low point, um, it, and it kind of makes you not want to support the, those people who are trying to support the team as well. Um, but we know that 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 that's not the type of support we want. So those are my my high and low points. Yeah, the Villa game because you know you get to that point where you're like, damn. This is probably it, um, but I think I was there earlier. But every single week, Nikki, our buddy Nikki, we call him Nikki Winks, because um, he's such a Harry Winks fan. Uh, he keeps bringing me back in. He's so optimistic, and he keeps bringing me back in. Oh, there's still a chance. There's still a chance. And you know, by the by the second half of that Villa game, you are feeling pretty, pretty shit. You know, so um, my my second high point was probably that Leicester game. Um, I have a friend at work who's a Leicester supporter. His father is from that area um, originally, and uh, it was wonderful to go in and rub it in his face, and I've been doing it for the past week. Um, so that, that was fun. The fact that we finished above Arsenal, it solidified it, and it took to the last day to do it. I, I think there's a special kind of, you know, th there's just a special feeling you get. It's kind of like when – on the last game of the year against the Yankees when the Red Sox, you know, 
take first place from them or, you know, make that three, nothing comeback like they did in 2004. So it's the same kind of feeling for me, just finishing above somebody. I don't even care if we were both in relegation. <laughs> so those are my, my highs and lows. Um, glad well Joe done, says that. Well done. You and I are, are unfortunately still living in 2004 and 2005, but we're going to keep doing that as, as much as we uh, can. We won in 2018 as well. I just want you to know. I don't recall that actually. I just I just recall the the, the early aughts, if you will. Um, let's go. You you kind of teed up a, a segue to our next our next topic, and that's social media. And you know, it's been really curious. We'll talk about manager stuff a little bit later, but the whiplash that is available on social media. You know, just this morning, I'm I'm flipping through my Twitter, and I don't use Twitter to communicate anything. I'll occasionally like or retweet something. It's kind of a news aggregator for me. You know, just to see what what people are saying and Literally on one screen on my phone, there's Poch is a definite coming back. Conte is a definite coming back. Ten Hogs a definite coming back. Like, you know, all these, all these sources and rumors um, are enough to make you crazy unless you're really skilled at, at sorting through the, the value of the source. So there, there's inherent problems with that. But there's also the inherent problems that, Mike, you alluded to in terms of just human behavior on Twitter. And, and Wendy, I'd, I'd like to go to you because I, you know, from listening to you and, and, and watching your communication, you've, you've made some personal decisions about social media that I know have probably been um, things you've been thinking about for quite some time and would love to just kind of hear your story as how you navigated to the recent decisions you've made. That'd be, that'd be great to hear about. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'll try and keep it it's difficult because I don't know what's interesting for you guys and for your listeners, but I'll, I'll so stop me if I'm stop me if I'm boring because I could go on for a while here. Um, Wendy, you you've met us. You're probably okay to say whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first, I think our I think... scores of listeners will will definitely uh, we call them scores now. We, it's not dozens anymore, so <laughs> they'll they'll definitely be interested. I, I feel okay. No, I hope so. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think firstly, it's worth saying that I am a straight white male because exactly what 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 Mike just said about Davinson Sanchez, you know, the, the racist abuse he's had. It's it's sickening, and if if I were black or if I were a female football fan or if I were a trans football fan, my experience would have been very different, different, and and so much worse. Um, but if I just talk you through my, my Twitter journey, I kind of touched on it at the start where I introduced myself. I grew a, a, a Twitter account into having a significant following. And that following for a long time was around 10,000 followers, which felt like a lot at the time, but it also felt like I was part of a community still. And I was like part of, Spurs Twitter and everyone sort of knew one another and had an idea of how one another felt about things and were respectful and interested and you know there were occasional infights and and bits of drama but for the most part it was friendly and people would meet up and go for drinks and talk about who's fallen out on with you on Twitter but in a in a kind of fun way and then I guess my accounts grew more rapidly and uh, it came partly when I became verified. So that means a blue tick or blue check as, as, as you say in the States. Um, so that, that definitely helped me grow my account, but wasn't the reason why I did it. 
so at the time you could apply to have a verified account and I was writing a, a Spurs column for a newspaper and so I just took the opportunity I thought well why not you know I'll just get verified see what ha- see what happens off the back of it it might lead to opportunities and really I was thinking it might lead to me being putting being able to contact higher profile people for their thoughts for uh, input onto podcasts and whatnot um, but being verified, it turns out, I think comes with comes at a cost, and I'll, I'll come on to that in a bit. Um, I'm also like at the start, I would tweet a lot, a lot. I mean, I, I dread to think how many times I tweeted. It would be hundreds of thousands, I imagine. But it, it's all about football. Every tweet I made was about football. There was very rarely anything that was non-football. And as time went on, I found it harder and harder to sort of disconnect my personality from my my Twitter account which started off as completely anonymous, no name attached, um, avatar based on a, a character from a TV show. And I'm a leftist. I'm, I am, for want of a better expression, woke, which is a problem on Twitter. Um, so one, I'm woke. Two, I'm verified. Three, I have lots of opinions on Spurs. I mean, in retrospect, this was never going to end well. And um, perhaps I should have been a little bit more um, insightful there and realised it wasn't going to end well. Um, I think one facet of my personality is that I want to be liked. And that doesn't mean that I say things to be liked, but it does mean that if I say something that someone disagrees with or if people don't like me, I want to convince them otherwise. <laughs> and I find it really hard not to do that. And, and and that has led to system problems as well. Um, and also, I think Twitter has changed. I think Twitter has fundamentally changed and the way that people use Twitter has fundamentally changed over the years to the extent where... Um, so the way I see it with football Twitter is there's this now core group of, of football Twitter users who call themselves FT, football Twitter. And they are anonymous accounts, occasionally with a first name. And they're often young people, like teenagers, late teens, early 20s, who have lived through social media, who've grown up with social media, who've grown up on social media, are completely and utterly hardened to social media and cyberbullying in particular, who treat social media as like this flippant tool that doesn't really represent them as a human being. It's, it's their avatar saying all this stuff. And they have absolutely no regard for themselves or anyone else and don't care a jot for hurting feelings. And as someone who's a little bit older, um, who is quite sort of an emotionally in touch person and and happy to sort of share emotions, uh, I found that quite difficult to deal with. And and so when, when people disagree with your opinion in a kind of aggressive way or in a way that... I mean, if I say, if I talk about quote retweets for people who don't know Twitter, they won't understand what quote retweets are. But essentially, you're you're saying, look at this thing I disagree with. What do you think? But in the case of football Twitter, it's look at this idiot I'm disagreeing with. Isn't he an idiot? Um, and and basically, I found myself at this point over over the, the last year, really, where um, my my thoughts on football are no longer just my thoughts on football. They are a meme. I'm, I'm, I've become a meme for, for large portions of the Spurs fan base and, and wider football community. And it's really, that's really difficult. It's a really difficult thing to accept. It's a really difficult thing to process. Um, 
So it all started when I went, uh, things have been going on for years. Like I had a parody account made of me probably eight years ago. So this is, this is not completely out of the blue, but on the whole, I had a pretty good control over um, the narrative. But I regrettably went on a podcast where I spoke very passionately about Maurizio Pochettino and his tenure. And I made a comment, which were, which I'm happy to repeat, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever tweet again, which was I wouldn't swap the two and a half years of peak Pochettino for 10 trophies. And obviously, you know, that's a flippant comment, which I don't actually mean, because if we achieve 10 trophies, then the, the tenureship of whoever was leading us to those 10 truth trophies would be absolutely magical. There's no room for nuance on Twitter. That that clip got got retweeted. Someone, I won't say his username because I, I, it's probably not appropriate, but this guy took the clip of that, focused it on just me, retweeted it to a, a large following with one intention, which was to make to ridicule me and to make me look stupid, so that he can say, um, "I'm a better football fan because I don't believe this." And he got some likes, he got some traction, he got some retweets, he got some more followers. Um, it went ballistic, it went viral. Uh, at the time, my girlfriend's dad was dying. Um, literally on the day it happened, we called an ambulance. I was having quite a difficult time personally anyway, and <laughs> that just kind of topped it off. Um, so that was, quite, that was quite a nasty experience. And subsequently, there have been other experiences, and it's led me. Um, this is so I'm so so sorry. I'm this is so long winded. It's led me to uh, deciding that I'm not going to tweet anymore from my account, which has like forty five thousand followers, something like that, because it's just not worth it. It's just there's what am I getting from this anymore? It's even if even if some people like interacting with me on there and have good faith conversations, which I really enjoy. There's too much risk of of um, negative energy coming my way of of feeling like a meme and if I may just sort of give one other sort of perspective on that it's that people people think they know you and so I as I said mainly tweeted football opinions very rarely went into anything other than football occasionally would delve into some sort of politics and it would normally be around Black Lives Matter or you know things like things of that nature but I don't give a great deal of my personality away on Twitter. No one, I would say, would know much about my family life, around um, whether I have any pets, where I work, what I do, or any of these things. I've always been quite closed off in that respect. But people put you in a box and they think they know you and they, they act as if they understand your personality and, uh, and, and actually they, they think they understand your fully formed opinion on football matters as well. So, for example, I've had people come back and say, I can't believe that you said that you wouldn't celebrate Mourinho winning a trophy. And I'm like, I never, I never said that. You're, you're extrapolating from something I did say and you're adding your own additional context so that you can put me in a box that you think I, I, I live in. Um, and even this week, I had a text, a WhatsApp from a friend who sent me a screenshot of... Uh, and the owner of the biggest Spurs website, um, the Big Spurs Forum, Spurs Community. And the owner of Spurs Community, who I have never interacted with, I have no, not knowingly anywhere, I have no idea who he is, he has no idea who I am. He uh, put on his massive message board, fuck Windy, uh, and, and followed it up with something around... I can't remember exactly what it was now, so I just didn't want to look at it, to be honest. But it was basically around... All I know about him is 
he used to tweet stuff about he used to watch the kids so kind of there's an implicit uh comment there about me being a pedophile uh haha very funny never heard that one before super original uh but he decided over lockdown that he needed to come up with some other opinions to maintain his relevance something like that and i'm like okay this is why twitter is bad for me because people think they know me they think they understand me and now they're they're spewing stuff negativity about me to a mass group of people a mass following of spurs fans um and i've got no defense what can i do i've got no right to reply i've got what can i how can i handle that other than removing myself from being visibly online um and, and it's a really difficult thing to have come to terms with because I have loved Twitter over the years. I've had so many great engagements. I've met people in real life. Um, we've had beers. It's been great. I've had a lovely, I've made friends with people, some of whom are now my greatest friends in the world. And I've had wonderful opportunities. I've, been, I've written for some great publications. I now have a podcast, which I love doing. I'm actually making an income from the podcast too. So Twitter has been great, but it's got to a point now where ultimately I'm suffering from, from having football opinions on Twitter, which is a really sad indictment. Um, and, and yet, forgive me, I've spoken at, at length there, but I hope some of it was at least interesting. No, extremely interesting. And I'll tell you what, I have, I have a couple questions and then I'd love to, I'd love to hear Mike and Steve's reactions to what you shared because it was pretty compelling. Um, my first question, but maybe I'll just ask both questions and then just turn it back to you. First question is, you know, it, it, to really distill down what I heard from you, you essentially left a toxic relationship is what you did. And as I think about our world today, so many people are in that same toxic relationship or flirting with that toxic relationship or they're the abuser in that relationship. You know, there's just, um, there's so much dysfunction built into that. So the first question is, is how does that feel? Like on the other side of that, how does that feel? And the second question that maybe is interconnected is through that all, are you able to keep Wendy and your personal life, are those able to be separate at all? Or are they, they, you know, linked in ways that you wish you could disentangle somewhat? What are your responses to that? That's, they're really interesting questions. Um, so firstly, I, I left Twitter in the past week and literally the moment I said that I was going to leave Twitter I felt this huge sense of relief enormous sense of relief like a weight had been lifted um and already I'm I'm like you I'm now I just use it now for lists I have a burner account I'm not logging into Windy Cause I've deleted it from my from my my app and because I'm I haven't got self-control I don't think to, to not look and I don't want to see things um, so I'm just using it as an aggregator of Spurs news and political news and other things. And it's great. I'm already just enjoying the experience again. Um, I don't know how long that will continue, actually, because I, I still see toxicity in all of the lists I use. Um, but it's so it's so handy for getting kind of real time information that it kind of serves its purpose that way. So, yeah, massive sense of relief. Um, I've had loads of messages of support which is really nice. Um, and like, I don't take those for granted. People, people have spent time writing to me, emailing me, adding comments on my blog and tweeting me. And that is really appreciated. And it's been really sweet. Uh, um, and, and that's great, but it's like, it's kind of the horse has bolted. The stable doors opened a long time ago. It's, 
is beyond that point now. I, um, so yeah, that, that in terms of the leaving toxic relationship already feel amazingly so much better. Um, in terms of how linked Windy is to my personal life, uh, like I am quite good at compartmentalizing things, but certainly by the end of the journey, it was tough. Like I was, I was finding myself struggling not to look. Um, when, when you're when you're going viral for uh, the wrong reasons, the best thing to do would be just to mute everything, delete the app, leave it, never come back to it. We'll come back in like a month's time when things have died down. But it's really difficult to do that because like, I, especially like I said, I'm someone who wants to have some sort of control of the narrative. I don't want people to be speaking untruths about me. And I found that really difficult to deal with. Obviously I couldn't correct everyone. That would be, I mean, I'm ridiculous to even consider that I could, but you at least, well, I at least wanted to sort of see how bad it was. So I just kept looking and it was really unhelpful. And I'm sure my girlfriend would say to you that, um, yeah, this was just unhealthy by the end. This was an addiction essentially. Um, and yeah, to, to break free of it is, is a great thing. And now I've got, I just feel like I've got so much extra time and energy to plow into the things I care about and to the communities that I'm building away from Twitter, which mean the world to me. And, and like, I can have good faith discussions about Spurs with good people who don't want to abuse. And, and that's a wonderful thing. That, uh, that clarity is really compelling. That's, that's, that's cool to hear about Steve. I'd love to hear your reactions just to, to what you just heard. Yeah. And I, I've been thinking about it this entire time, and I think I can sum it up nicely um, with a quote from, uh, it's a Dr. Perry Cox from Scrubs. The quote is, people are bastard coated bastards with bastard filling. And that's, that's pretty much my experience with social media in general. It, you know, it, it comes across as this platform of anonymity that people can just say whatever they wanted to avoid thinking that it's got no consequences. And really they're just a bunch of assholes who, you know, they, they shouldn't be, uh, you know, on these platforms at all. But of course, you know, your Twitters, your Facebooks, um, you know, the TikTok these days, I guess is a, a thing that kids are into. Um, I say it isn't my job. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> wait wait steve you you realize you you're an old man you just said tiktok is a thing that kids are into these days that's that's your uh, message yeah, i i recognize that i recognize that's it. what the kids are doing <laughs> um, but still i mean they're they're platforms that really aren't moderated the way that you know you may hope that they would be um you know just listening to the story it's it's you know this isn't a a, a unique story in the sense that it's happening all the time. You, you read about it constantly, you know, the, the harassment, the judgment, the, the just absolutely toxic, despicable behavior. Um, I mean, it's, you would hope that these companies would, would take their responsibility um, a little more seriously to kind of moderate some of this stuff, but they won't, they, they could, if they really tried, but they, they just won't because, I mean, that's a, at this point, I think it's too big a part of their user base um, for them as a business to say, hey, we're going to start cutting these people off. Um, I mean, it, the, the big one for me is you look at, uh, you know, and, and this is mostly on the state side, but I'm sure, you know, you, you can relate to this a bit um, with Trump 
Trump and his Twitter and all the crap that he's been putting out, you, you know, for, for years. And it took them how long to kick him off? Like, I, and that's just one person, one high profile person. Um, but yeah, it's, and it's the reason that I don't really use Twitter at all, just because I, you know, I, I can't help myself, but I, I'm more in the, I can't help myself. I would just get confrontational with people and that's just going to blow up in my face. You know, I can't have somebody sending, you know, a, uh, a, uh, uh, cherry picked screenshot to my employer saying, Oh, look at what your, your worker says in his off hours and say, like, yeah, well, you know, I meant every word of it, but you don't have the context. So, you know, I can't really, uh, explain that, um, too well, but, and then you get the, uh, just to bring it back to, to some of the players, right? Like the, the line gets blurred. You know, we had that conversation, um, about racism a, a couple weeks ago, you know, Davinson Sanchez is somebody that I criticize constantly um, just because, of, you know, I don't think he's got a, a very intelligent football mindset. Um, you know, he's constantly out of position and, and you know, doesn't often make uh, the right decisions and, and tends to rely more on his physical traits to make up for his, you know, lack of understanding and reading of the game, um, which I feel is, is a perfectly valid way to criticize somebody. But when you start bringing the racism element into it, then it's like, what the hell are you doing? Like, this isn't right. This isn't what you should be doing. It's not constructive. And it's just, it, it just shows everybody that you're a garbage person. But uh, sadly, I think we're, we're at a point where, you know, even worldwide, really, there's just so many people, so many awful, terrible excuses for humans um, that are, are almost getting validation on these platforms and it's letting them just be crap people. Um, and they, they feel like they're justified because, you know, they've got a handful of other crap people who are saying, yeah, you know, you keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're the right one here. It's like, no, you're not. You know, if you really truly analyzed yourself, you would realize you're being the asshole, but, you know, th this is the same group of people, and, and I truly believe this, and I have absolutely no problem with people coming to our Facebook and calling me out on it. These people have no self-recognition. They cannot think critically at all, not just about the comments that they make. They're just too stupid to understand what it is they're doing. Um, and, you know, I'm sure somebody out there is going to, you know, well, maybe not because we only have scores of listeners and not thousands, but... Uh, you know, I'm sure somebody yeah, would hear that yeah, and make a comment like, he just called me stupid. It's like, yeah, but if you don't hear the overall context of it, um, you're, you're not understanding. I'm not calling you stupid. I'm calling people like you stupid, but maybe I am in a way calling you stupid because let's be honest, if you can't understand uh, the words that I'm saying in the context surrounding it, yeah, you are one of those people. Let, let, let's be honest. Um, but yeah, just to kind of bring it back uh, full circle, social media just sucks like it's so ingrained in our, our society and we kind of have to use it i mean we advertise on our our facebook and on our twitter account you know whenever we have an episode and um or an interesting idea um but you know i i learned really quickly um to kind of just ignore everything that goes on because you know when we launched this um I would get so excited. Like somebody's commented on our post. What are they saying? How dare you post this nonsense on my Facebook? It's like, well, we're not posting it. Like, <laughs> I don't know how it's getting to you. You know, maybe it's a, it's a sponsored 
bit or, you know, an advertisement or, or something, but it's not us saying, hey, you know, Frank, uh, you know, we think that you want to see this. No, it's Facebook's algorithm is is the one that's putting this in front of you. Like, you can't be called. Some, yeah, somehow, what? somewhere, Facebook has identified them as, as Tottenham Hotspur somewhere in their feeds. That's yeah. not true. So that's not true. Thrown out to them, Frank. Frank, we're coming for you. That, that's that's <laughs> Frank the plan. Specifically. Yeah, but exactly. you know, it, it's that it was that first comment that kind of killed it for me. Like, I'm not going to be able to interact with these people in a in a friendly way. It's just going to be these these guys who you know have no lives, nothing better to do. They want to come. Oh, you guys suck because I saw an advertisement on Facebook. All right well, you are our target audience anyway, so fuck you. Like, I don't want to have to deal with you anyways. <laughs> you know, Steve, what I'm realizing as you're talking is like, there's, there's a graduate course just around what we're talking about today. You know, the, yeah. <laughs> the, the tools that social media are, the, the way people interact with it, the, the back, like it's fascinating. I mean, we're going to devote, you know, 30, 40 minutes to it and, and we're not even scratching the surface, but it, it's absolutely fascinating and con concerning to be frank, you know, as, as we look at, you know, um, my, my sons I've, I've shared with you before are 16 and 20 years old. You know, they've, they've grown up in a world where this is, this is the water they drink. And when they're my age, uh, you know, I'm curious what world they're going to be swimming around in. I'll be a very old man and won't care anymore at that point in time. Right. Um, I certainly doubt I'll be following my Twitter feed, but, uh, but, but my kids will. And it's really interesting to think about what, how that yeah. plays out. My, Mike, I'd love to hear from you. Oh, I'm sorry. You got something else, Steve? No, just to sum up, you know, because <laughs> I want to bring it all together and make sure that the point really sticks here. Um, you know, if you're one of these people who's on Twitter or on Facebook and they're, you know, going out and trying to make somebody else's life hell for no reason whatsoever because you've got nothing better to do, I, I really want you to hear this because I truly mean it. Go fuck yourself. Like, seriously, I don't want to have to deal with you. Sign off of Twitter. Go find something constructive to do with your life. That's it for me. There Mike, it is. Actually, I, I, Mike, if you don't mind, with your permission, I want to move on to the next topic because I think we've done a good job with this, but there's more, more to discuss. Yeah, I, okay. I don't, I don't mind at all. I, I, I'm pretty like-minded with, you know, with with Steve and Wendy. I'm, I'm happy uh, that you're able to, to share your story. So, that's that's pretty great. Thanks a lot. I, I, I really appreciated all those sentiments. Can I just add one final thing? Um, Absolutely. Move on, which is we touched on, or you guys touched on, how poorly policed Twitter in particular is. And I think that's such an important part of it. Um, my experience, so I used to block accounts and blocking was not working for me because people were using blocks as a badge of honor. And then I was getting DMs saying block me constantly with like people and then people gloating about the fact that they were blocked by Windy Coys, which is so pathetic and childish, it's unbelievable. So I changed my strategy and started muting people, um, which was just as flawed because then people had still had access to my tweets and would screenshot and share and, and create more hostility towards me, which meant that people who um, didn't necessarily have a problem with me were kind of getting this valid, like getting encouraged to, to think less of me and and then would join the kind of outrage and the pylon um and twitter just did nothing to support me at all i mean i would report stuff all the time um and unless someone said the c word or said something that was like racist or transphobic they did nothing they did nothing there's someone who's been harassing me for about a year 
to the extent where they set up a second account to start contacting me and me only and Twitter has still done nothing about that person. They, I reported them again the other day and um, Twitter asked for more information about what they've done. And it's like, can you not see this volume of tweets? They might not be being recklessly abusive, but by the volume of tweets alone, which are all negative and all encouraging others to disagree with me in the most aggressive of ways, that is harassment. I've told this person I don't want to interact with them and they're still coming at me. That is harassment. There's no other word for it. And they do nothing. They do nothing to to affect it. I've had death threats um, multiple times through DMs and and through tweets. But it, unless someone overtly says something, like they don't do do anything. So someone will say, "Looking forward to seeing you at the lane," with like the obvious. In, like, it's clear what they mean by that is, if I see you at the lane, I'm gonna I'm gonna thump you. Like Twitter does nothing because they've kept it vague enough, and it's it's just not on. They need to they need to get better. But but like you say, they they leverage this stuff for income, ultimately. So um, it doesn't suit their agenda. Very very well put. Thank you, Wendy, for for wrapping that up. You know, the next thing I'd like to talk about is the you know following the Super League drama. Um, we, we've all seen the demand that fan representation be a, be a part of decision making with the club, and and you know, Wendy, for your for your knowledge, Steve and Mike and I clearly understand our place as American fans of an English football club, right? Like we we get that um, we don't have the match day experience, we don't have the regional cultural geographic affinity. Um, we're folks who chose Spurs for our own various personal reasons, and. And we, we realize that there is a difference. I'm, I'm curious, and I'd like to talk about with this concept of fan representation, you know, I've never heard it fully fleshed out what that means and, and what that should look like, who should be represented in um, that context. And I'm, so I'm curious from, from the mind of an Englishman, you know, what that looks like. I'm curious um, from, from Mike and Steve and I, like what that looks like and, and how would the best version of that look and feel as we move forward? What do you think, Wendy? Um, so firstly, it's really interesting to, to sort of hear you um, delineate between different types of fans. And actually, I would say that nowadays I'm closer to an American fan than I am to a traditional English fan because I, I basically just don't go to matches anymore for the past two years. Um, the experience has changed somewhat for me since we left White Hart Lane. And, you know, I will go to matches in the future, but in the same way that well, I'm sure one of you guys would go to a match if you were over in the UK. Um I would like to start off by by saying like a massive congratulations to the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust because I think their strategy has been proven completely and utterly correct. They've had so much criticism for the way they've handled anything, everything since the European Super League. Basically, they refused to meet with the club and that really upset people because people were saying, well, how are you going to progress unless you meet with the club? But their point was always, well, we're not going to meet with the club on their terms we need to we need to force the club's hand we need to make them do something to address some of this before we'll contemplate having a conversation with them and subsequently we've now got this announcement from spurs that they're going to have fan representation on the board and that is a huge step in the right direction so i i really think they've nailed the strategy they like they they are an oft criticized organization but they do fantastic work for spurs fans across the world and i think they should be celebrated for that 
um they're they're brilliant and you know martin and kat are so intelligent and insightful and have so much experience of doing stuff martin um uh in particular has like so much lobbying type of lobbying experience and he's just brilliant absolutely brilliant um i think spurs version of fan representation is definitely helpful but ultimately won't change anything I think it's really helpful to have a fan in the room when decisions are being made who hasn't got like the financial interests of the club at the forefront of their mind. They solely think of what it means for us as fans. Um, but Enoch and Daniel Levy ha- already have the ability to gauge fan opinion in other ways. Anyway, they can, they can, they can drip feed information into um Twitter or social media or, or the news and engage fan reaction from that. They can also use focus groups to consult and find out what fans think. So from that sense, I'm not sure how much difference it would make. And so I guess what I'd say is ultimately we need, we need the government to act and to change the regulations surrounding football club ownership. And we need, um, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. There, there is a, a fan-led football review that the government are doing, but there aren't many football fans on the panel for this fan-led review. Uh, and that is concerning to me. Uh, it's good that the government's starting to have these conversations and starting to think about fan ownership because ultimately football is unsustainable in its current form uh, and it, with its current model. Uh, but... I don't think there will be real change until there is reform of some kind and until fans have a voting rights essentially on, on football boards. Uh, and of course, you know, a single fan might have voting rights, but they're going to be outvoted every time by, by a board if, they're, um, if they don't have equal voting rights. Very well put, very well put. Mike, your thoughts on this topic? So, I, you know, I was, I was thinking about this... Uh, um, just, just a couple of days ago when, uh, you know, when we saw the super league stuff happen and, 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 uh, I was thinking, you know, it, it's all about money. I don't know. I don't really know the European fan perspective, uh, um, on this kind of, on this kind of situation, just because I, I've been attached to the U S the, the U S, uh, you know, sports market for my entire life. Um, but the other day, um, US, US, uh, USA soccer broke off its, its uh, marketing agreement with, uh, with soccer United and uh, which, which they do the, the marketing for, um, for the MLS and the US women's national team. Um, and, and it goes down all the way to TV contracts, radio contracts, that kind of stuff. Um, not just, not just their, their media and social media. So um, I think in, in that matter, like that's USA soccer saying, saying to um, the rest of the U S soccer world that guess what we can, we can handle this stuff on our own. We can make our own money. And, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're making tons and tons of money on the women's national team. They're not on the men's mm-hmm. Um and that's just a, a fact about, you know, the fact uh, of um, 
the men's team not performing in the past couple of missing the, the world cup, uh, in, in 2018 and, 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 uh, underperforming 2014. So, so, you know, now that they see the men's national team is starting to turn they've turned it around a bit. They got a lot of young, exciting players, uh, guys like Sergio Dest and, 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 and the like. Um, I, I think that, it, it, it all turns back to a, a money-making venture, whether whether you're Major League Baseball, whether you're the English Premier League, your League One, uh, Bundesliga, you know, it, um, it, it's it's all a money-making venture. And us as fans need to learn how to kind of separate that from from our the entertainment value of, of what we're watching. And, and and I think so. Lots of times we get so wrapped up in it that that anything like the super league or, or, um, or anything like that gets us so worked up that we get angry about it. And, and we lose the, the child, kind of the childlike excitement we have when we watch sports, you know? So I, I really, uh, I, I really think it's a lot about money, but at the same time, I've, I've kind of, figured out how to pry myself away from the fact that you know spurs spurs um are an organization that i came to because of my son um and and his his love for watching uh uh lucas Moore. there he is <laughs> that's wendy um this is lucas i did not name him after lucas Moore, as dave likes to say but he, he um, did he totally did yeah, there's no proof otherwise. <laughs> yeah, cannot disprove so, um, it. Yeah, so I, I have to. I, I I've learned how to separate myself from from the money situation because I don't I don't feel like it's going to stop. Um, but it really really showed me something when when the when the English fans came together and said enough is enough and 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 I I like I would like to see something similar happen in the NFL because the NFL is making billions and billions of billions of dollars and making even more money with with Tottenham um being being the space that they're playing these games now um so um I'm I'm a fan of the Washington football team um I, I won't use their name their old name anymore um because like you left the air uh, Wendy I'm a I'm a leftist as well um like you lefty that was perfect lefty <laughs> yeah i called him a lefty um like wendy i'm a leftist but um I, I i can say that like for years i i i i'm finding this parallel between spurs and 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 uh the washington team that that um with our owners is is mm -hmm. that they refuse to kind of cede control to um daniel snyder and daniel levy refuse to cede control to what the fans want, what the fans need, and they constantly step on their tail every time that they have to make a decision. So um, that, that, that is a, you know, a decision that's a big part of what, why we love the team as fans and, and, and they hurt the fans constantly. And Daniel Snyder does it constantly. And if I could start a Snyder out hashtag, I would, but I don't know how to use Twitter. <laughs> Um, and I'm not sure I actually hashtag correctly when I actually use Facebook. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, when it, when it comes to that kind of stuff, it's all about the money and we have to learn to separate ourselves as fans. 
and Mike, I think you're much better off for not knowing how to use Twitter, number one. Um, <laughs> number two, I think there's another graduate course baked into what you were just talking about, which is when you think about sport, whatever the sport may be, and the 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 grassroots cultural connectedness dynamic that sport represents. But once once an organization becomes an organization that is large enough where making money is the focus, is it possible to be a money-making venture that's world famous and still maintain that grassroots integrity? Like that's really interesting to dive into and would take us hours to, to go there. But um, it, it, it's a pretty compelling topic. I, I feel like Bill Gates tried to do that on the, on, on the personal side of his life you know, outside of his billion dollar uh, Microsoft ventures, you know, I, I think he tried to do that, um, you know, with, with his Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, but in the end, you know, that, that kind of stuff, the foundation itself gets used as like, for tax reasons, for tax breaks, and we're, we're, we're giving so much money away. So we have to write this in on our taxes so that we can get a break from the billions of dollars that we're making because we're putting millions of dollars back out there. So True. they use it, they use these foundations for tax breaks too, but you know, Bill and Melinda Gates did a lot of things for, for schools, uh, not just in the U S but it, you know, around the world. And, and um, so, you know, it, it's, it's really, it's really hard once you start making millions and billions of dollars to, to be, you know, socially, socially responsible, um, and still be that grassroots organization that when you, from when you started. So no question, no question. Hey, I just want to ask the group, do we have time for one more topic before we wrap things up? Is that, is that okay with everyone? I'm, I'm good. Great. Let, so let's get back to, you know, topic du jour for, for Spurs, right? Let's talk about manager. When we, when we first started planning to meet today, we wondered if we might have an announcement. We don't have one quite yet, but you know, there are different front runners every day and there's a lot of um, new rumors most recently. I'd love to hear everyone's pick to click for the manager choice. Uh, Steve, why don't we start with you followed by Wendy and then Mike. Steve, what are you thinking in terms of where the manager choice lands and, and how you view that? I think personally, I think that that this this um, Pochettino rumor would probably honestly be the best bet. I'll tell you why. I think, you know, Levy's had his his kind of dream manager. He got Mourinho. He backed Mourinho, and look where that got us. Not super great, um, you know. And if you kind of compare that to sort of how like what Pochettino was able to do with minimal investment and honestly with two transfer windows at absolutely zero activity um it's impressive you know and and yeah things fell apart you know he was clearly um you know shaken by by the champions league final loss uh but he's still a great manager great guy great personality he's got us playing the right way i mean you see all these rumors around how um you know spurs want a pochettino-esque manager why not just get Pochettino? You know, he doesn't have the longest PSG contract in the world. You know, I don't think it would be incredibly difficult to do. Um, but the other added benefit to that is I think Levy's kind of seen what happens when he doesn't, um, you know, kind of back, back the manager there. And he kind of goes with his little pet project. Um, I, I would like to think that it was humbling for him in a way, you know, he got the guy he's been chasing for decades 
and it bit him in the ass. So, you know, now I think he's kind of woken up and realized that, you know, he had something beautiful this whole time and he just screwed it up. Um, so I would hope that, uh, you know, he's kind of learned his lesson there. And if Spurs do manage to, to get Pochettino back, that he's treated a little better, you know, he's given um, a, a bit more control um, over, you know, signings and, and the direction. Um, but even if, even if we don't get Pochettino, you know, even if it's somebody completely different, I really hope that Levy kind of just takes a step back and, and hands off a, a little bit more because it, it clearly didn't work when we started doing things his way. You know, we've talked about it before. He's a, he's an incredibly intelligent businessman and, you know, he's gotten a lot done with Spurs that, you know, uh, maybe doesn't get as much credit um, outside of, you know, from a footballing side, you know, we've got a great new stadium, probably one of the best in the world. Um, we're financially viable, stable. Um, that, that's all great stuff that you need for, for a club, but when it comes to the footballing side of things, I, I think he's a little more naive. Um, and, and I would hope that this, uh, this nonsense with Mourinho has kind of let him understand that, you know, it's not his wheelhouse. He needs to take that step back. Personally, I would love for Pochettino to get another shot at it. I think he could do great things with us. You know, the players love him. He's already got that established, um, rapport with most of them he knows who performs he knows who doesn't perform uh, you know uh, this is a time where we're in a in my opinion we're in a crucial off season where the ins and outs in terms of transfer activity is really going to dictate how we do next season and if we bring somebody new into the folds it's going to take time you know that's for me that's that's you can essentially look at next season as kind of a, a you know, uh, 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 that painful rebuilds that that constantly comes up, right? I don't expect us to do well with a new manager. I, I expect him to kind of figure out how things operate, try to get his his point of view across, try to do things his way. And, uh, you know, that's not something that can be done overnight. Whereas Pochettino, he's already worked with a lot of these people. He could feasibly hit the ground running, knowing full well that we still need to clear out some of the... the um, dead weight in the locker room, the, the, uh, you know, bad apples there. But again, he's somebody who's had experience there, you know, his first season in here, we got the uh, Kabul cabal. They got, they got the ax. Um, so if there's anybody who can pull that off, it, it's Pochettino. Um, so I would be super excited to get him. I think that that's honestly probably what will end up happening, but uh, eh, who knows, you know, things are changing on a daily basis. And honestly, like we've we've discussed already you can't really trust any of these rumors that you see out there there's you know maybe one or two guys who who have you know their ear to the ground and kind of understand what's going on at the club everything else that you read is just bullshit and it really is you know we we joke in our whatsapp about these uh you know the the italian source that is positive we're gonna get conte it's like okay yeah but what does he really know nothing you know it's it's just some guy and, you know, you see it, 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 the memes that you get on, a, on, you know, Spurs Reddit about, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the guy's barber who, who definitely knows, or, or what was it? The, uh, the Kenyan prisoner, 
that had the inside track, you know, all these memes pop up and they, they boil down to the same thing. Nobody knows what's going on. I like, you know, one of the reasons that I like to, uh, to talk about Alistair Gold is because he is somebody who actually has that connection with the club and and yeah you know he obviously needs to put things out there as a journalist to get the clicks and to bring people in and to you know do his job but he's not somebody who's necessarily going to make things up out of the blue um and i really appreciate when he does come out and say you know there's absolutely nothing to this i've not heard anything um and he does make it clear i haven't heard anything i haven't you know seen anything going on about this um but yeah you get other people who pretend that you know, they know something They're They've got it. They, they have the, the secret that nobody else knows, not even Daniel Levy. Um, so, you know, most of these rumors take with a grain of salt, but at the end of the day, I would love Pochettino back. Actually, we have the secret and we'll be releasing that on our Twitter uh, tomorrow morning. We'll make sure that the world knows who the manager will be. Cause I know a guy that um, lives near the stadium and his garbage man is connected so we'll just leave it at that. I'm going well, to say it. I'm going to say it now, Dave. You son of a bitch. That was mine. Perfect. Always trying to steal. Wendy, I know you are a fan or you have um, spoken highly of one Graham Potter. Uh, would love to hear your perspective there. And, and, and it, if the Pochettino rumors are affecting, you know, your view on where this is all going. I really like Potter. I really, really like Potter. I think there's so much good in Graham Potter. He's so I watched a webinar on him last week. I say on him with him. He he was in in interview with um, Dave Jones from Sky, and it was for the coach's voice. So he was talking about coaching and his experience, and it was really fascinating to get his insights on his coaching journey. Um, so. I think it's quite well known now that he spent a lot of time in Sweden for Ostersunds, managing them. They were a club who had sacked six managers in six years, something like that. And he came in and provided stability. And he did that by, from the way he tells it, um, basically listening to the players and talking to the players and building trust with the players and understanding their motivations and their ambitions and, you know, removing those who didn't share the ambitions of, of the club and bringing in new players who fit the philosophy that he and the chairman shared. Um, and I really admired, I really admired the way he spoke about man management. He's incredibly sharp, intelligent, intellectual. He's got a master's in emotional intelligence and, and trusts himself to be knowledgeable on how to understand players and get to the root of, of what motivates a player. Um, he's also tactically brilliant he has developed a style of play for a club like Brighton who you know, have basically only survived through playing unattractive football previously. He's got them playing some really expressive, creative, enjoyable football whilst also keeping them in the Premier League. And you know, they have spent some money. There's no doubt they've spent some money and I think the recruitment's pretty good. Um, but that doesn't come about by accident. That comes about through a lot of hard work on the training ground. So Brighton this year have not achieved the points that they've deserved. If you look at the underlying numbers, they have um, underperformed their expected goals and overperformed their expected goals against, which has left them in a very unfortunate position of having this huge deficit in XG terms, expected points terms. Uh, but the signs are that, and this is something that Nathan, who who um, is one of my podcast um, guys, 
Nathan did a long video about this and essentially looked at the reasons why Brighton aren't scoring, looked at the reasons why Brighton are conceding. The reasons they aren't scoring is because Neil Mopé misses lots of chances. And the reason they were conceding lots is because Matt Ryan is a terrible goalkeeper. And they fixed the goalkeeper issue in, in, in promoting Sanchez and selling Ryan to Arsenal, which is hilarious. Um, and, and if they get a good striker, they, they'll be going places. They're a really good team. And I think he's done great work. Um, that said, I think Maurizio Pochettino is the objectively best possible manager we could recruit. The only thing, the only thing that stops me being fully enthusiastic about Pochettino coming back is, and I'm actually thinking of writing something about this this week, it would require both sides to change how they behaved before. <laughs> and I think we know that Daniel Levy is a very stubborn man. He's a brilliant man in, in many ways, but he's a very stubborn man. He, and he trusts himself above everyone else. And that is a problem. That is a real problem. Like, like Steve said, he needs to defer some of his responsibilities to a director of football, sports and director, general manager, whatever it might be. Um, but also Pochettino himself is a very stubborn man. I mean, I watched with my own eyes him play the Harry Winks and Mr. Sissoko midfield for over 30 games when it clearly wasn't working. It was absolutely horrific. And we were losing football matches way too regularly against teams that we should be beating. That is, that Wendy, is I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but do you, you do know that, that Steve has a particular problem with the Wink sissoko uh, combo? I'm not sure you knew that, but Steve, you're really hitting a nerve with Steve right now. Am I, am I triggering you, Steve? Sorry, I've just brought <laughs> I back bad memories. Vendetta. I, I, I swear, I must have said it thousands and thousands of times. Winks, fine. Sissoko, okay, except for last season. Winks and Sissoko together, never. It doesn't exactly. work. It just doesn't work. <laughs> it's so awful. It's so, 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 so awful. And yet, Pochettino, who's a brilliant manager kept trying to do this and eventually he he moved Delhi back into midfield and broke Delhi and so like you're trying you've broken one of our best players by trying to fix a midfield which is the worst <laughs> midfield we've had in years why not just sign a midfielder and like I know that Pochettino turned down Tiedemans because you know I've, I, I know how you guys feel about ITK now but I had pretty strong ITK that Tiedemans was a good option for Spurs. Like we basically had agreed a deal and Pochettino didn't want him for whatever reason. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it just, it needs both parties to have reflected on what went before, realised where things went wrong and be absolutely certain in their ability to change behaviours and move forward in a different way. If that happens, honestly, I think we can challenge for the league within a couple of years if with Pochettino. He's brilliant. He's an absolutely brilliant manager. And we've got a really talented squad and, you know, should, should Kane leave and we reinvest that money well, <laughs> big if, um, there's, a, there's a lot to be hopeful about, but they need to have learned lessons from the past. Wendy, you should absolutely write on that this week. That would, that's a fantastic topic to, to dig into. Mike, where are you? What do you think uh, in terms of manager options and where this lands? Sorry, um, I had to get the earplugs on the on the kid, uh, and, and you know the muzzle over his mouth. <laughs> anyway, um, so um, as far as managers go, uh, you know we've heard we've heard everything from Nagelsmann to to uh, Ragnick to Sari, um, 
Brendan Rogers, you know, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And I, I, I really agree that Pochettino is probably our, our best bet. Um, I, I, um, Conte for me, um, I don't want the guy because he is probably closer to Jose Mourinho than, than we're going to be comfortable with, with the squad we have. Um, plus the guy's a huge asshole. Um, he doesn't kind of, he doesn't kind of leave the rubble behind, uh, you know, from clubs he's, he, he's left that, that Mourinho does, but, um, you know, he, he is just an asshole, um, and people don't like him. And it, even though he gets the job done, that's, that's fine. But I don't think that's what we need at Spurs. Um, I, I really am hoping that, that the Pochettino thing works out, um, and, and knowing, you know, I, I think Pochettino tried tried using the diamond like a hundred times in his last season, and, and and it just couldn't work. And it and it goes back to that that midfield that midfield uh, conversation we just had, and and pulling Delhi back. And and I I just I think at that point he was grasping at straws because he had no other options. He couldn't figure it out, and and I think it was a little bit of the letdown of of um the losing the champions league final um but i think a lot of it also had to do with daniel levy you know two straight transfer windows doing nothing for him um not giving him the players that he wanted so you know i think if pochettino's willing to return there's going to be probably a couple of conditions which is he's probably going to want a clause in his contract saying you can't let me go mid-season and he's probably going to want something um some sort of long-term contract of probably in the realm of four to five years, I'd imagine. Um, you know, we see that in American sports a lot too, is, is these, these players, these managers will not sign contracts unless they're long-term contracts. It's going to ensure that they're taken care of in their future. And, and I wouldn't blame Pochettino for that at all. I think, I think tactically the, the guy's a, a kind of a genius, um, but you know, with like I said, with the little letdown of that Champions League final, I I think that he kind of just lost the dressing room, and didn't know how to fix things. Um, but I I really want to see uh, I really want to see Pochettino, and I say, if he wants a long term contract, hell, give him a lifetime contract for all I care. At this point, after the season we just endured, um, I, I I'd love I'd love 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 to have him back. Gentlemen, with that fantastic analysis of everything, and we uh, we've reached our conclusion. I want to say a few things. First, Steve, you you made the comment earlier about how it feels like most of the times we've recorded, um, there have only been a handful where we've had fun, you know, because the the, the club has been gloomy and and spursy uh, to inform our name. But I, I will say this: this has been a lot of fun today. I have really appreciated and enjoyed the conversation, and, and part of that is because we're not talking about match results. We've we've been talking about um, the world and life and planning and, and looking ahead. So that's kind of enjoyable. Wendy would love to thank you just for being with us. It's been, um, it's been an honor to have you join us and you, you, uh, you've greeted us to some, some insight that we're able to react to. And that's been fun. And uh, Mike and Steve, you know that I appreciate you both and appreciate the opportunity to do this with you. So with that, everyone, um, remember to get your thing, Dave? I'm yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just, I just want to kind of tell the story because, because, um, I was the story of how uh, I kind of contacted Wendy. Um, I was really uh, 
I was really kind of nervous because, because uh, like Dave said at the beginning, you, you, you're very much, um, you were the first podcast that I listened to um, on Spurs. Um, and so I, I thought that, you know what, let's give it a chance. Let's see if we can get this guy to come on. Maybe it'll help, help give us a boost, but it's going to also help us figure out how to, how to navigate this podcast world and the social media world that, that, that we're trying to get out to our friends and help them understand why we love Spurs. Um, and, you know, I've contacted a, a, a number of, uh, of podcasters that I've, that I've actually really loved. You know, I've, I've, I contacted Vaz uh, and Steve or it's not Steve and Sam um, just for some insight and, and Vaz, Vaz gave me a couple of really good, really good tips at the beginning, but, Wendy, I just want to really thank you because you were the first to actually say, yeah, I'd love to come on. I'd love to, I'd love to help you guys out. I'd love to have conversations. It's so it's great to have that, that kind of community in, in the podcast community. And I think, I think that kind of just falls into the, the whole reason that we're doing this is because we're fans and we don't want to just have therapy sessions every week, but it is, it is, uh, it's it's really fun and I really really appreciate you returning my uh, my email at that time. So honestly, complete pleasure, I, and I completely completely agree with the comment about community. Um, I think there's so much toxicity out there that any chance we get to create genuine community where we can exchange view, exchange views in um, in a in a pleasant way in a non-argumentative non-aggressive way we should we should jump at those chances and it's yeah really really nice to meet you all um great to get some insight into your fandom um and if there's anything we can do in the future uh then just please ask because absolutely want to support all other spurs podcasts on that note nothing more to say but come on you spurs thanks guys thanks